sure everything's turned on. Good to see you back on Sunday night. I tell you what Jeff said is so true. I went over a few minutes ago and uh, places full of children over there and workers and and uh, they have food over there. So, uh, so we gotta go over and hang out sometimes, have snacks and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. But uh, no, I'm, I'm so thankful for uh, how God blesses us with uh, teachers and workers, and uh, you know, a lot of churches, it's personal preference. People don't want to come back on Sunday night, but I mean, in the in the height of Awana, sometimes we have 80 kids over there. So why would we not do that, you know, and have uh, teach God's word to them? So I'm thankful. Take your Bibles this evening and go to Genesis chapter two. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, and we'll be in verse 15 in a few minutes. Uh, just for a few minutes tonight, nothing too heavy. I want to talk about Adam in the garden uh, before he gets a wife, before all those things happen. Uh, just him created by God and in the garden. Before we think about him, let's kind of review because it's been a few weeks since we uh, dealt with this passage. Let me just remind you of four things that we know, four verifiable, factual things that are observable, that are in direct and stark contradiction to the world's idea of evolution, and that we are here by accident, and the world's here by accident, which is preposterous, by the way, but uh, let me just give you four things that we know so far in our study leading into Adam being in the garden, and the first is this. Matter, the um, material that everything's made up of, is not eternal. We know that. So what's the implication of that? It means it began somewhere. It means everything began somewhere. And the way I often write it in my notes is in the beginning of the beginning, God spoke matter into existence. In the beginning of the beginning, before there was anything, God stepped out of Nowhere and made somewhere. Why? Because he's God. Uh, people will often ask, especially critics and agnostics and atheists who want to attack God, they will say, well, where did God come from if he's been forever? Well, he came from nowhere because he's just always been. Uh, and he created somewhere for you and I to have existence because he's God. But the key is this, matter is not eternal. And if matter is not eternal, then you have to follow the logical line back to there's a beginner, a, a person, a being, a God who created matter. And so that's the first thing that we understand and we know. And you say, well, can science prove that? Listen, the universe has been proven that the universe is continually expanding, which means there was a contraction at some point that it began and that it's moving, it's expanding. Uh, it's also been proven that the universe is losing energy, losing power. The sun's losing energy. I read you a, a quote from, a, from an atheist uh, writer back two or three weeks ago before Christmas about, you know, the earth's going to burn down, not the earth, the sun's going to burn out at some point in billions of years from now. And he said, but the good news is we have lots of time. Well, that's not really good news. I mean, because uh, uh, there's no purpose for life if that be the case. But the point is matter is not eternal. Secondly, how did creation take place? God's the creator. How did matter come into existence? And the answer is by the power of God's command. He simply willed it to be so. He simply said for it to be so. The power of God in his word, the power of God's word and the command 
is really beyond human comprehension. I mean, God, I mean, think about this for a moment. In a command of God for matter to be created, and not only to be created, but to be in some form, to be the sun with its gravitational forces and the heat and the earth being at the right distance and the universe and the solar system and the Milky Way, and you get it. And then the vastness of space, and then the intricacy of the human eyeball and, and of a bug or an ant or, or you know, a, a caterpillar uh, changing into a butterfly. All, all of that, everything, when God spoke and created to the, to, the, to the most minute detail was already planned out and laid out in one thought and one command and one word. Only God can do that. I mean, I mean, think about how hard it is for us to make something. I mean, it takes engineers months and years and calculating and figuring and looking. And then even after we make it, it isn't right. And we learn what we messed up. And so we have to make it again. No, God commanded with one command and, and beauty became existent and perfect and worked just as it should. So the power of God's word is how creation took place. And then thirdly, this is one of the Christian arguments for God, if you want to call it an argument. It's interesting that in the Bible, the Bible writers never waste one verse trying to prove the existence of God. Not one. Why? Because it's, it's observable, it's intuitive. But we have to argue with people who are, who are obstinate against God. And so one of the arguments is the intelligent design argument. And what that means is the, the design of creation is so intricate and so detailed that it's impossible for it to have happened by accident. And that for there to be a design, there had to be a designer. Someone had to have the thought and the designs. An illustration is this building. What do you think that the odds are mathematically that this building just showed up here all by itself? <clears throat> you say, well, not very likely. Yeah, not very likely. Because uh, I was here when they put the thing up. You want me to tell you how they did it? We paid an architect and engineer about $30,000 to uh, do wind loads and weight loads and all the calculations that the state and the county require to put up a building so that it wouldn't fall down and that it would not fall on us and kill us, theoretically, hopefully. Um, so, but the point is, an engineer and a designer sat down and did the math and figured out if we build it this way and we put this, the, the, the braces here and we put in the concrete here and we put rebar in and it'll make it this sturdy and it, the wind can blow this much and it won't blow it over. It'll, and they did all the math. And then those bathrooms back there and the water fountains and the, and the, uh, the baptism pool and the electrical and all the plumbing and the air conditioning there were separate plans drawn and made for all of those things so that when the guys came in here to put the building up, they knew where to run the wires and they knew where to put the pipes. And they, My point is this, just as impossible it is for this building to just suddenly appear by accident in all of its structure with all the plumbing and all the things here and to be what it is all by itself it's just as preposterous that the universe would suddenly appear and just be what it is and that man would appear and grow out of a single cell organism. No, intelligent uh, design requires an intelligent designer. Uh, those things in life that we see 
uh, tell us that there's a God. In fact, this very familiar passage that I quote very often or that I read to you is in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Listen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why? Who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You see, agnostics and atheists are suppressing the truth. God said the obvious truth, they suppress it. They, they ignore it. They, they push it away. Paul went on to say, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God showed it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I heard on the news this morning, and you may have heard it, uh, the local news channel got a hold of a research article that said America's becoming less religious. Well, I could have told them that before they did the study, but they did the study, and they had some numbers, and they said 30% of America's citizens now, 30% of Americans either claim to be agnostic or atheist. That's interesting. You know what I would like to know further, just as a side, I'd like to know the age demographic of that, because I bet the majority of it is the younger generation, not us older folks who who uh, been around long enough to see what God does. But the point is, the world is becoming uh, less religious, if you want to put it under that guise. And there are many in the world today who reject God, and, and we know that, that the evidence of God is clear. Number four, and probably one of the most obvious indicators that there's a God and that creation is as God said it is, is we are created in the image of God. And we talked about that in great detail when we dealt with it, but the two major categories are this. We're created in the image of God naturally and morally. The natural things that we do are in the image of God, creative, thinkers, intellect, uh, poetry and, and painting and beauty and appreciation for beauty and love and relationships, all those things are, are God characteristics. Now ours are diminished because of sin and because we're human, but they're all indicative of the perfection of God. And then morally, not just naturally, but morally, we are moral creatures just like God. We can choose to do right, we can choose to do wrong, and we are responsible to do right and not do wrong, and we'll see that in Adam in just a minute. So the point is, because we are so much different from everything else that's created, it should be a sign to us that God is exact, did exactly what he said. I don't know about you, but I feel pretty confident that I am uh, superior to cats and dogs. Some people may not think so, but I think I am more intelligent than cats and dogs. I used to own horses. We had horses. I don't know how many of y'all ever had horses. We had lots of horses, and we used to ride them all the time. How could a 140-pound kid, 140 pounds then, not now, how could a 140-pound kid get on a, uh, on a you know, a 1,200-pound animal that's powerful and make it run around barrels or run down the road or ride me all day? You know, I could ride the thing all how could I? How could I do that? Because I'm a human being created in the image of God, and I know that if I put a split bit in his mouth, it's going to hurt his tongue, and he's going to do what I want him to do. I, I know how, I knew what to do with the animals. And the animal only knew I'm hungry and you feed me, so I like you. I shouldn't get off on this because I'll make somebody mad, but I'll say it anyway. People get so attached to their animals, and that's okay. And, but I want you to realize something. 
when you love on your cat or dog and you kiss it and you tell it that you love it, it has no idea what you're saying. Just want you to know that, okay? It has no clue. It doesn't know, it doesn't know what you mean. You know, it just knows that you feed it and that you pet it and that, you know, it's not going to get hurt around you, so it likes you, if you want to call it like you. Here's the point. We're created in the image of God and nothing else on the planet is. Nothing else. None of the animals, the fish, nothing. So all of these four things support what we've learned so far that God is the creator and he created man and he put him in a garden. And that's what I want to pick up on tonight. So look at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Very generally, we find out that when God put Adam in the garden, he didn't pick Adam up physically. That's not what it means. He didn't pick him up and, you know, put him over here. No, God created everything. And when God created the earth, he created Eden. He created a garden for Adam. And after he created Adam, and we talked about that the last time we were together, God took the soil and he, he formed Adam's body. And so, you know, it, let's picture it. If he's laying there on the ground, a human being, a full-grown man uh, with the appearance of age, everything that God created him would function. Then God breathed into him the breath of life, gave him a living spirit, and all the organs begin to work, the heart, lungs, liver, and all that stuff. And he, and he was alive, and he was awake, and he was conscious immediately and met God. And you can only imagine the conversation that must have ensued. Uh, Hello, Adam, I'm God. I just created you. Or, you know, something like that. And, you know... Uh, Welcome to existence, or whatever God would have said, but God created Adam a place for him. God created a place for him to live, and we know it as the garden. Now, when God put him in there, remember initially he's by himself. He doesn't have a mate, he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have anybody, he's just him. And so God puts him in this garden, and he gives him things to do. What was Adam's job? We just read it. I want you to tend and keep the garden. Now, I think like this, and so I don't know if you do, but Sunday night, so let's kind of think about this for a minute. There's no sin yet, right? He hadn't sinned, so the garden's perfect. There's no briars or weeds to pull or, you know, you don't, Adam don't owe a hoe at this point. He's not have a rake or he's not doing anything. What did he have to do to tend and keep the garden? I don't have any idea. I've thought about it. I've thought, like, what would you have to do in a perfect Garden of Eden I think the grapes came off the vine already peeled. That's what I think. I think, I think they, you know, they just fell off the vine, peeled, and he didn't have to do anything because he's not laboring at this point because of the curse of sin. But now on a serious note, here's what God did for Adam. God created him and put him in a, and gave his life purpose, not just existence, that he exists, but God actually gave him purpose, gave him something to do. said, look, Adam, you know, I want you to live in this garden. I made this for you. I created this for you. This is all for you. All of this goodness. And, and I believe before the, before the fall, and certainly before the flood, there was a tropical environment. The weather was perfect. He didn't need air conditioning. He didn't need heat. The grass is perfect. It don't make you itch. I mean, the whole deal, right? It's Eden, man. The thing is perfect. And God gives it to him and, and, and puts him in there. And one of the things I was thinking about is God's grace is always abundant, isn't it? And God's grace, God is never stingy with his grace. God's never stingy with his goodness to us. And so he takes Adam that he just created and he puts him in this fantastic garden. And he says, Adam, this is yours, man. Take care of this. This is your responsibility. 
I wrote down three things that, that God did for Adam by putting him in the garden. And I think three things that are very important that we could apply to, to many things God does for us today. But think about this. Number one, Adam had a physical body, so he needed physical things. He needed water. He needed food, right? And before the flood, there's every indication that man did not eat meat. Maybe he did because Cain and Abel slew animals. We don't know for sure. But in the garden, he's eating fruit and vegetables. He's eating whatever God gave him. But the point is, God provided it for him. God gave him a place to live, gave him all the food he could eat every day, all, the, all that he could want, all the water that he could want. God gave him this place that met his physical needs. Now, what does God promise us, even in a fallen world, as his children today? God tells us over and over, I'll take care of you. I will provide what you need. Has God ever failed to meet your needs? Think back through your life. Has God ever failed to meet your needs? No. Now, what we'll do is we'll complain because we don't get what we think we want. But God has never failed to meet our needs and take care of us, ever. Not one time. Why? Because you're his child if you're saved. And God loves you and he's going to take care of you. Now, sometimes God's plan for us doesn't line up with what we think we ought to have. But God always takes care of us. So God gave Adam this beautiful place to live. Secondly, very important for human beings, God gave Adam what I called functionality. He gave, him, he gave him this thing to keep him occupied, to use his skills, to employ his mind, to keep him sharp. Think about all that Adam had to learn when he went in that garden. First time he ever saw, I don't know, a butterfly. he never seen one before. First time he ever saw a bird fly, he never seen one before. God just made him, right? Adam has no experience. He's a, a full-grown human being with a mind that's learning everything. Unless God created him with some pre-knowledge, which there's no indication that he did that. So he's in this garden, and he has functionality. He's responsible. He has responsibility. Can I say to you, and our society needs to learn this, God did not create us to be lazy. God didn't create us to be lazy. God didn't create us to sit around and do nothing. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't retire, and I'm not saying there isn't a time in life when you do retire, but you spend your whole life preparing for that, don't you? You spend your whole life working to prepare for that for when you're physically, you need to retire. Maybe in some cases mentally, but the point is, when there comes that time, you have labored in your life to prepare for that time. God did not create us to be lazy, so God gave Adam responsibilities in the garden tended. Again, we don't know the details. I wish we did. I wish I knew. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't say this, but you know, God created groundhogs. You know, hogs. You know what hogs do? They root. Maybe there's a hog in the garden. They kept rooting up the grass. And so Adam's got to go behind him and put the grass back. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what he has to do. But, uh, but he had a job and he had a function. And thirdly, probably most importantly, is God gave Adam contentment. Contentment. He's in the garden. He gets to walk with God in the cool of the day. He gets to fellowship with God. He's learning. He's doing the thing that God gave him to do. He's employing his gifts, his abilities. And Adam had contentment. He had contentment until one thing happened. He realized everything else in the garden had a mate and he didn't have one. But until then, he's doing his thing. He's in there taking care of business. Now, when I was studying through this, I know this kind of seems academic tonight, but it really is pretty good to think about. 
There's this guy named Abraham Maslow. Anybody ever heard of him? From 1908 to 1970, I think. He's a psychologist. And he did a bunch of studies <clears throat> about human needs. And he, he created this thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Need. And uh, the first time I ever read it, I went, yeah, another psychologist. But then the more I got to thinking about it and did some other study, and he's on to something. You know why he's on to something? Because God created it that way. Let me, let me read you the list very quickly. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, number one. He said every human being has physiological needs. A physiological needs is a fancy way of saying you need food and water, and you need clothes, and you need shelter. So every human being, no matter where we are in the economic scale or educational scale or, or social scale or popularity, no, it doesn't matter who we are and what we do, we all need those things, those basic things to leave. We need a house. We need some kind of shelter, whether it be a tent. You need something to keep rain off your head. When it gets cold, you need to stay warm. When it gets hot, you want to stay cool. You need food, you need water, you have to eat every day. How did human beings before modern times and cities, how, what, there were hunters, there were gatherers, and there were farmers. Why? Because everybody needs to eat. So you got to eat one of those ways. You got to go out and gather it, you got to grow it, or you got to shoot it, or stab it, or shoot it with arrow or something. But you got to eat, right? You got to make your own clothes, and you got to have a house, a log cabin, or build a tent, or a, or a bush house, or something. Everybody needs physiological uh, resources. God created us that way. What did God do for Adam? Put him in a garden. God met every one of those needs. Secondly, Maslow said every human being needs safety, security. We do that, don't we? We, we evaluate the danger of things, and, and if we're afraid or, or we feel threatened, we either flee or we prepare to defend ourselves. That's a human response, isn't it? And so we all need safety. I would suspect all your houses have locks on the doors. Am I right? Yeah, you know why? Because when I go to bed at night, I lock that dude. Because nobody else is supposed to be in my house but me in the middle of the night without telling me they're coming. Right? I mean, this is the way it is. And if they come in uninvited, they might not like it. But, uh, but that's another discussion. The point is, we want safety, don't we? We want safety for our family. We want safety for our loved ones. And so human beings need physiological needs they have, and they have needs for safety. We need to feel secure. We want to feel secure. We want to feel good about tomorrow. We want to feel good about what's going to happen. Where do you get that from as a Christian? Don't you get it from Jesus? Did God not provide that for Adam? Sure he did. Listen, I don't care what the rest of the world's doing. I'm secure in Jesus. I don't care if the world, if the world says the world's going to, if, you know, if the intelligentsia says the world's going to end tomorrow, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because I know God really controls what happens and I'm in Jesus. So God provides these things for us is my point. Number three, Maslow, I told you he was on to something. He just didn't know he was on to something. Let me tell you number three. Human beings need love and inclusion, social interaction with other people. God created us to be social beings. Now, some of us are introverts like me. And uh, I told Sherry, I have one real friend in life, and that's her. Okay? I mean, I have friends, but you understand what I'm saying. She's my friend. I'm not going to... No, she's shaking her head. Don't say it, so I won't. <laughs> um, but you understand, as human beings, we need that. Now, some people are more social than others, aren't they? Some people are like a social butterfly. I mean, they know everybody. Some people on their, on their social media, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I have none. So there's the range, okay? 
But the point is we need, God created us like him, in his image to have social relationships, to have friends, to have family. What has God, what has God given us? Number one, he gave us the most intimate relationship in humanity, marriage. And so God gives you a mate, a husband, a wife, and you share a life in that relationship that meets those needs. And then in the body of Christ, what has God given us? Brothers and sisters in Christ, where we can come in and fellowship and enjoy one another and encourage one another. You see, God met the need. God met the need for Adam the same way. God meets that need for us. Number four, as you get higher up the pyramid toward the point, some of this stuff gets pretty interesting. Number four, he said, human beings need what he calls self-esteem. Now, self-esteem is not what we were talking about this morning, being arrogant or proud, but it means the feeling of having accomplished something in life. It means feeling like, feeling like we are contributing to society, feeling like we actually have something to contribute, something to, to help others, to minister to our family or those around us or some skill or something. Really, self-esteem is connected to feeling like our life has purpose. I would suggest to you that much of those who suffer today uh, emotionally and psychologically, even to the point of harming themselves, feel an emptiness. They don't have any self-esteem. They, they don't feel like they have purpose in life, and they feel like it doesn't matter, and they feel like they can't contribute. Has not God taken care of that? Because when you're in Jesus, you have all the purpose you could ever have. Why? Because you're a child of God. When you're in Jesus, you have all the esteem you can have. Why? Because God gave you spiritual gifts. And he gave you the ability to share the gospel with people and to matter in somebody's life. And so God meets this need of self-esteem, of, of feeling like we've contributed to life. If you share the gospel with one person, you have contributed to them for eternity. If you invest the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God in the life of your children and your grandchildren and those around you and all those people over there working and pouring God's word into those children and up there in the youth department, they are making a, an investment in lives of people that's forever. That's pretty good self-esteem, isn't it? God gave us that. Number five, and I'm, there's only like six, so you're good. Hang on. Number five, okay? You thought I was going to be here all night, didn't it? Now there's six. It's a little pyramid with six. Number five, he said this, Abraham Maslow said this, not only do human beings need self-esteem, but we need what he calls self-actualization. Now, you got to understand, this guy's a psychologist, and he's using all these words to say simple things, and you wonder, why didn't he just say the simple thing first? But here's what he means by self-actualization. It means being created in the image of God, which he didn't realize. We have abilities, and we have talents, and we have skills. It means the poet has just got to be a poet. He's got to write poetry. The painter, the person who, who has a natural ability to paint, just got to paint. Why? Because they got to actualize themselves. They got to do what it is God called them to do. The singer, the person that God gave the, the desire to sing and the ability to sing, what do they got to do? Man, they got to sing. They got to sing. I got a perfect example for that. You've, you've met my daughter who can sing, my older daughter, right? You have no idea. You cannot imagine how much she used to sing. Sherry drove from Norfolk, Virginia to Jacksonville, Florida one time with Betty. I was on the ship. We were moving, coming back here in 1996. Megan in 1996 is in a car seat in the back. She sang from Norfolk, Virginia to Jacksonville, Florida, nonstop. She sang about stuff she saw out the window. She sang about dogs and butterflies 
She sang about cars and trucks. She sang about everything in her little brain all day long. Betty asked her, she told me, she said, Megan, does your mouth hurt? She said, no. She goes, because my ears are killing me. <laughs> Listen, God, I can tell you God created that young lady to sing. And so what does she do naturally? She sings. God created you to do what you do. God created you to have empathy or to minister to people or to teach or to help or whatever. God gave you resources and abilities to be able to do what you do. Maybe, maybe you have such a close relationship, God, that you're just a powerful prayer warrior. God created you to do those things. We need self-actualization. We need to pursue the thing that we have a knack for. Let me, let me give you folks who are in the business world a little, a little tidbit of information that will help you with your employees. And this works across the board because I used to do it with my sailors all the time. When I became a more senior officer, I would be in charge of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sailors in different divisions. And sometimes dealing with sailors is a really interesting prospect. But you know what I figured out? Uh, I figured out that <clears throat> if, if you, as the leader, figure out what that sailor's good at, like what it is they like to do, and you put them in an environment where they can do the thing that they really have a knack for, man, they will excel. They'll, they'll, take off, they'll take off running, and you won't have to try. You won't have to bird dog them, and you won't have to stay on them. But I discovered if you give a sailor something that they really have no knack for, something that's really hard for them and something that's just they don't really enjoy, you always have a problem with that person and with that situation. So part of your job as a leader, and even as a Christian sometime among Christians, is to figure out what their spiritual gift is and get them plugged into the area where they can excel, where they can sing and paint and do whatever it is God gave them to do. Then you don't have to, you don't have to bird dog them. You don't have to like look over them and say, hey, are you doing? Because when it's time to practice, they show up. Why? Because they love singing. When it's time to teach, they show up. Why? Because they love to teach. When it's time to work with the children, they show up. And they show up on time. You know why? Because they love them kids. So Maslow 